you're starting to make product, you're starting to develop it, you actually get something into the field to see where your failures are, and, and you have a lot more customer interaction at that point in time. That's the fun part. This is the one and only, the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value. Brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the R Value Podcast. I'm your host today, Aaron Franzine. And before we get to our guests, I'd like to start this episode with my thoughts on some things we're seeing out there, undocumented foams, and the importance of simply doing things the right way. So we've been in a trying time over the last few years, which seems to have inspired some folks to source material anywhere they can. And I understand that myself as an ex-business owner. Everyone's trying to find an edge. Fiberglass can't usually be manufactured in anyone's garage or their shop. Spray foam can. If you have access to certain raw materials, almost anybody can make some version of spray foam, which is much different than making products that meet performance standards. So you can make a chemical but making something that meets performance standards and has gone through the evaluation and approval process is really what I'm talking about here. Not everyone puts in that work to approve their products or get them evaluated. I've seen HFO labels placed over HFC labels. I've seen labels of approved products placed over those of unapproved products. You name it and folks seem to be doing it. I understand trying to find an edge but I challenge you to look at your own company's values and identify with quality and documentation. With the products you're using down to documenting your own manufacturing process and showing that to your customers. Doing this will continue to keep the spray foam name in good standings within the building performance industry. That goes along with keeping CPI certifications up to date, respiratory protection plans and fit testing current and let your customers know that. Let them know that your guys are being safe and that you operate a certain way. Offer a total package. Keep your customers confident in the performance and application of our products. So speaking of doing things the right way, I'd like to welcome Mike May today, product manager of the Python division at Suburban Manufacturing, which is headquartered in Monticello, Minnesota. Mike has been working with the spray foam industry since Suburban first launched the Sidewinder spray foam sleeve back in 2016. Mike's main focus is new product development, product line management, and new business development. Mike has worked at Suburban for 10 years, having a few different roles in management positions and within the last three years, focusing on Python product management. And Mike, I'd like to start off with a bit of a personal question. So whether you're comfortable or not sharing your middle name. My middle name. Wow, I haven't been asked that for actually I'm trying to think the last time I was asked that. Dear, Simon is my middle name. Simon. Yep. Michael Simon May. Do your kids know your middle name? 
They do. They do? Yes. Okay. Yep. So the reason I asked that question is Mike May, uh, you're kind of bookended by 2M. So I was yep. just going to see if there was a sweet nickname that oh. we could give you. So if, you're, <laughs> if your middle name was Orville... Then I would start oh, calling you mom. There you go. There you go. <laughs> or, or if it was another M, uh, we would start calling you Triple M or something. Cool. Right. But, uh, right. You ever had a good nickname? Um, you know, back in my my younger days, I actually worked out a lot more, and I had some buddies call me Pipes because I actually looked pretty decent. You're still in good shape. Mike. I don't Give know. yourself some credit, I don't know. buddy. I've seen you rip some golf balls. Before. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> At least I get them off the tee. That's, you know, that's half the battle. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, suburban manufacturing, you've been there for 10 years. Uh, I think a lot of folks know who suburban is. Mm-hmm. They've heard the names Sidewinder. They've heard the names Tsunami. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you just for starters, who is suburban? Like a little bit about your core core business. What put them on the map? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So Suburban is a, a kind of an umbrella company. So Suburban is the, the main name. And then we have uh, three main divisions underneath it. Uh, so we have the Lube division, we have the Tsunami division, and then we have the Python division. And uh, I focus mainly on the Python division and I as well focus on the Lube, Lube division as well. So uh, the company is uh, 40 plus years old. Um, we are comprised of a bunch of employees that are self-starters and go-getters. Uh, so we're definitely shakers and movers, and um, we, we definitely want to understand what's going on with the industry, uh, what's new, what what issues are we going to try to solve, and uh, introduce new products to, to help the industry grow. Can you briefly give kind of a, an overview of each division? So the lube division, that was kind of new to me. I guess we probably don't work within that one with you guys very much. Just a brief overview of kind of each group at Suburban. Sure, absolutely. So uh, the lubrication division is mainly um, for oiling chains on round balers and combines. So we work with, for example, John Deere and CNH and Vermeer, that, that type of industry, the egg industry. Um, we're also dabbling in some other other industries on the grease side too, so that's all um, lumped under the lube division. Uh, the tsunami division is our compressed air filtration and drying um, portion of the company, uh, which you have, will probably actually see in quite a few of your rigs um, that are out there in the industry right now. Uh, water separators, coalescer, and then the actual dryer itself to uh, remove humidity, contaminations, oils, and that type of stuff within the compressed air. Um, and then the Python division is our textile division. So uh, it's, it's what we would consider the Sidewinder spray foam sleeve. And then the new product is the drum warmer, um, but it's the textile or it's the cover that covers the hoses from the rig to the gun. So core business, I mean, we're fluid in air. Mm-hmm. Right. In exactly. a, in a fluid nutshell, power. fluid power. Yep. Fluid power is what we would consider ourselves strong. Right. Okay. In the industry that we're strong in. Yep. And then you are the product manager correct. for the Python division. That's and correct. within Python lives hose coverings. Uh, what we work with or know as the Sidewinder product line. That is correct. Yep. 
Yep. So, yeah, a bit confusing with all of the names and stuff like that. But um, when the, the Sidewinder spray foam sleeve was introduced, that was back in about 2016, uh, it was definitely Sidewinder at that point in time. Um, as marketing got their fingers more involved in what was going on with the product, uh, they, they rebranded and called it Python. But still, this portion or this sleeve is still the Sidewinder spray foam sleeve. So Sidewinder products are related pretty specifically to spray foam. Is that yep, fair? That is exactly it. Yep. Okay. And that's what we're here to talk about today is kind of your group, the Python division. Uh, as we're heading into some cooler and colder months, you know, the products that you make in your Sidewinder hose sleeve and your drum warmers have been a success. They've yes. been great for our customers there's tangible value, mm-hmm. I think, that we're bringing. So yep. I wanted to ask you, when did you realize the opportunity in the spray foam industry? So back in 2015 and 2016, we had um, a couple inquiries um, that a few of the inside guys and then one outside sales guy that, that wanted to take advantage of that. So we started doing more evaluation of the spray foam market and found out that there's a significant amount of rigs in the industry and there's a lot of hose to be covered. And what was their connection to spray foam or how did they kind of stumble in or discover, hey, there's a whole market here, guys, called spray foam we don't know much about. Let's investigate. Interestingly enough, none. We had no interaction with the spray foam industry at that point in time. So it was definitely a new market, a new place, um, and and we were excited to try to learn about it and understand it. Okay, so then what happened? You started your due diligence, I'm guessing, on the market. What opportunity could exist? Uh, What happened next? Yep, so uh, what they did is they did an evaluation of the market. So um, I wasn't in my product management position at that point in time, but I was in some other management positions and I was kind of watching this uh, formulate with that, that particular group. But yeah, they did a, a market research and uh, found out how many rigs were out there, how many distributors were out there across the United States. Um, started making some phone calls to understand who would be interested or involved and willing to participate in this. Also did uh, quite a bit of testing to understand that it was of value and there was issues uh, with the current protective sleeve. If the, the hoses and the electrical components weren't protected, um, the, the contractor was on the hook for some very expensive hoses. So we were out to try to help and protect the, the longevity of the hoses. I've seen a little bit of your process and how you do your due diligence, how you, you know, learn about a market, then there's ideas and then there's prototypes. Uh, you're really good at that. I, I've kind of got to work with you on a few things. And um, how does that process work for you? Once you guys kind of make a decision to say, hey, let's evaluate this. Let's see what our cost is going to be into making a new product. Um, you know, there's a method to your madness. And I wanted to see if you'd be willing to share any of that with our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, kind of a process that works well for suburban and there's many processes that you, that can be followed through throughout the industry, but we call it stage gate. And within stage gate, there's, uh, let me see here. One, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven stages. And at each stage, uh, when you're done or you think you're done with the stage, you do an evaluation of where you're at and then where you want to go next. And then what people you, you would bring into the next stage of, of that process. Um, and typically, you'd keep all the stakeholders involved in all that. And typically, your stakeholder is upper management within the, within the company. Obviously, the customer is a large portion of the stakeholder. Uh, distribution, you know, they're, they're a portion of the customer base. And then all of that feedback that you get from them as well. So, I mean, you have the screen stage, uh, the feasibility stage, and then you get into the development stage. And that's where things actually start to really click. You're starting to make product. You're starting to develop it. You actually get something into the field to see where your failures are. And, and you have a lot more customer interaction at that point in time. That's the fun part in my mind. And then we get into pilot, launch, manufacturing, and then review. So you have a, a whole gamut of everything. And review can last years and years and years. You watch the market, see where it's uh, expanding and what other competitors are out there and that type of stuff. So, so stage gate, is that, uh, is that a common practice or is that a Mike May kind of brainchild? Maybe it's a suburban brainchild. It was, uh, I don't know if it's a industry standard brand name or, or what, but uh, that's what was introduced and that's what we kind of called the, the project um, within the building. Yeah, yeah. great. I'll so. probably steal that and use it. There you go. For, for us at it's, some point down the road. Wide open. Go ahead. Perfect. <laughs> so once you get through that, then you got to understand probably two things, right? Marketing and distribution. So how are you going to make it popular and make people want it? And then how mm-hmm. are you going to sell it? So yep. starting with marketing, um, first question I have is how did Tara convince you to start doing uh, marketing videos with her, you know, I, I would have picked you as one of the last guys to probably do that. And she, she found the right, yeah. the right angle uh. and convinced you to do it. Those videos are fantastic by the way, that. but, uh, Thank you. Thank what did you. she do to convince you, Mike? Well, she is, um, her excitement is contagious, right? So if she can be in front of the camera with her, um, it's easy to be natural and, and move along with the, the excitement that goes on. She draws that out of you, doesn't she? She certainly does. She certainly does. But, um, no, it's been, it's been fun. Um, you know, how else do you get out there and get your product introduced without actually showing it? Right. I think people are still reading about stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm a YouTuber, you know, jump on, see and watch how it's all done. And I'll learn more from that. And I think that's, that's your best exposure right now. Short yeah. and sweet. And you can, you know, emphasize how effective that is over the last few years. Right. You know, uh, with less opportunity to get out in front of customers, get out in the field, do those types of things. So right. I think, uh, yeah, I like your videos a whole lot. They're pretty fun. So yeah. they kind yeah. of remind me of ours <laughs> in a small way. So that's great. Yep. For sales and support of any products that IDI offers from Suburban Manufacturing, please reach out to your local IDI branch or your sales rep. Going back to the Sidewinder sleeve and kind of when you guys got into this, you were fairly selective with choosing your distribution channel. That's um, you guys don't sell direct and tell me about that a little bit. I know we kind of latched on to it early on, but what were you guys looking at uh, for distributors and your channel, how you were going to bring this to market? 
So that's a great question because um, every new product that you introduce to the industry, you try to figure out, you know, how is the end user actually going to get it. The other concept is um, pricing and is there room for distribution in the middle of it? Uh, how large is your distribution network? Um, is there merit there? Um, how, you know, how much influence does that distributor have or distribution network have down to the, the actual end user? Um, we found great value in having the distributor in the middle um, of that relationship because as distrib distributions, you guys have locations all over the states. And I don't have the manpower um, to go out and touch all of these rigs. Even though we can um, touch them via marketing, I don't have the internal support either as far as the systems and, and stuff to be placing one-off orders and that type of stuff for these for these end users and that type of stuff either. Um, so the combination of um, the distribution network touching all these people, spreading that, that good word, knowing the knowledge of it, supporting us technically um, has been very beneficial. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the support with, with everyone we work with, that's something that we put a lot of emphasis on mm -hmm. is supporting our products. And we can spearhead uh, an issue if something comes up that we can evaluate it, get you proper feedback very quickly and solve a problem. So, right, right. Um, Sidewinder hose sleeves. So let's talk about the actual product itself sure. a little bit. Been out since 2016. Yep. Got a good track record. There's a couple other kind of me too's out there, I yep. think, that is great for you because that tells you that you're doing it the right way. Yep. Um, but features and benefits of the product, why do people like to use Sidewinder hose wrap? So this particular sleeve, um, I guess to get into the nits and grits of it a little bit more, um, it's kind of got a proprietary coating on it that is a, a more slippery. And if you get your fingers on it, you can actually see that it's glossy and slippery. And that's been the best feedback is that it slips over the gussets and it slips over the nails and you can pull it and it's not super heavy. That's the other nice thing is, is it's pretty flexible. Um, so. These uh, contractors are trying to carry this this gun and the hoses, and you want to carry all that stuff around with you. And then you're up in an attic, and all of a sudden something catches, you know, 25 or 30 feet away. The typical response, at least for me, would be to give it a yank, and you hope hope that the hoses don't come apart <laughs> at that point. Pull down. harder. Yeah, exactly. Pull, Pull harder. I need three more feet. That's all I need. I don't want to go back to get it, you know. So. Um, it's been successful that way as far as its, its slipperiness and, and able to move it around. The other thing is easy install. You lay it, roll it out, you put the hoses into it, you put the straps onto it, and then you just enclose the, the hook and loop or the closure itself. So um, way easier than duct tape, way easier than cutting off the duct tape. Um, you can actually use the sleeve over the top of the duct tape if you prefer to go that way as well. But um, it's been very successful. So we have our 50-footers uh, uninsulated, 50-footers insulated. We have coupler guards um, insulated and uninsulated, and then we have whips available as well. So to me, it's kind of a, there's a functional piece of it for the sprayers and just maneuverability around a job site. 
Um, there's a thermal piece mm-hmm. with the insulated version, um, and there's also a protection of your hose investment. So, and I'm going to say that hose, albeit expensive, mm-hmm. it's a consumable. Mm-hmm. So, any paint hose, or as you guys are well aware, hose yep. is a consumable item. Right. Um, so, he, being heated and air lines and all the things that go into a heated spray foam hose, protecting that investment, getting the most longevity out of it, to me is probably the biggest uh, advantage. But I want to talk about the thermal element of it and. Mm-hmm. For us, I mean, our our tech team and our sales folks are always trying to help our customers maximize yield. Yep. Um, f- for the most part, spray foams will perform the same, and it all depends on the user interface, what changes they're making, how are they manufacturing raw materials that day in those conditions. How does the insulated version help our customers? So... Um with the thermal ability, uh, what it is is it's what we call a radiant liner. So it's a quarter-inch liner that we would sew onto the inside of the sleeve. And in essence, what you're doing is you're capturing air so that the air doesn't move. So the warmth stays on the inside, and if it's cold on the outside, it's cold stays on the outside. Or vice versa in the south, where you have extreme warmth on the outside, uh, you want to try to maintain that, that specific temperature on the inside. But the temperature that the, the chemical is at in the rig, you want to try to maintain that temperature or as close as you possibly can to the gun when you're spraying the foam itself as well. So that's my goal is whatever the chemical is at at the gun or at the rig, I should say, you want to maintain that all the way to the gun. If you're dragging it into the, the snow and the ice or even the heat, that chemical temperature is going to change over the course of 200 feet. Have you guys been able to tabulate an improvement in yield? So I asked that question. Uh, it's hard sometimes to explain what the tangible value is mm-hmm. of something. Yep. Um, and we've we've done some of our own testing and you know we all know there's an increase in yield. Have you guys ever been able to put numbers to it in any way, shape or form? And it's okay if you haven't because we <laughs> we have had a hard have. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know they had some numbers early on, but I haven't done any testing lately other than customer feedback saying that this stuff performs great. Um, we get better yields. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't have any good, solid, tangible numbers for you today. I wish I did. But. Well, and that goes into, you know, my theory of a spray foam rig is that spray foam takes what it takes to install. There's temp ranges, there's pressure ranges, you need a certain machine, you need to mix a certain ratio. You know, spray foam takes what it takes. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to circumvent anything and say, well, you can also go this route. There's always a sacrifice if you downgrade equipment or upgrade heater sizes. So to me, anything that I can do to help meet the standards set by the spray foam manufacturers to meet their processing requirements is an advantage to me. And if I can find any edge to increase yield, or maximize what I'm doing out there, I'm going to take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to uh, the newest Python slash Sidewinder product, 
pretty exciting new product that you guys launched last year, mm-hmm. the Sidewinder Drum Blanket. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that process. So again, we, uh, oh boy, I'm trying to think. It was uh, two and a half years ago probably now, maybe even three. Um, Aaron, actually, you were the the pusher. Uh, you had been talking to me about that for quite some time, that um, you thought that a, a drum warmer would be uh something that we could certainly manufacture and make and be successful. So following our stage gate process, that's what we did. We started evaluating the market, took your input, started to see who the competitors were out there, looked at their pricing to the market. Um, is, is that a good price? Is that too high? What can we um, do better with the blanket? What, can, what components can we shave off to make it uh, a, less, a less expensive blanket? That type of stuff. So um, throughout that whole evaluation, we started making a couple of them. We introduced them to you, and uh, you thought they, they looked great. They were successful during all of our testing. They did well. So um, again, throughout the stage gate process, we got about five or six in the field for the course of uh, six, eight months or so, and they performed like, like expected. And uh, yeah, we did a full-on launch last fall, and we've been pretty successful the course of this last year. So what are some of the things that you added or took away potentially from the competitors, the competitive products that you saw out there? There are a lot of different features, new features, uh, I think some usability. Mm-hmm. I think it's much easier to use just being on a rig, you know, the day sure. in, day out, frontline grind of it. Yep. Um, even the task of moving, you know, a big old bulky blanket back and forth with the threat of overheating uh, mm-hmm. something or underperforming right. can really ruin your day. So, what are some of those features and benefits that you see that your product does that the the competitors aren't meeting well one of the features that you just hit on big and bulky right so we we kind of trimmed it up a little bit made it a little bit thinner uh realized that the that the amount of insulation on the inside wasn't probably always so necessary um so we thinned it up we were able to find a a a really good insulated material uh, that was thinner and had really good thermal ability um, and then we used a, an element that was very flexible as well. The outer coating or the outer material is really flexible. Uh, we use that in multiple other industries as well, and it holds up against chemical, overspray, um, UV resistance, which these probably wouldn't see much of that. But the fact is, is that it's a, it's a lighter, thinner material that's very robust. Um, so that was one big feature. You can be able to roll it up, stuff it away in, in the summertime if you're not using it, easy to store and then easy to unroll and put right back on. Um, one of the other large features was uh, interface. Like you said, we have a controller that's integrated uh, on a tether so the, the individual can pull it out of the pocket, set it within four or five clicks of the button, hit enter, it's good to go. It's, it's set where it needs to be set. Um, and all you need to do is plug and unplug it, and your your temperatures are set continually every time. Um, 
one of the last last main features is uh, integrated of the, the sensor itself. So we integrated the sensor into the element so that the user doesn't need to be worried about where the sensor is placed. If the sensor didn't get in between the drum and the and the blanket correctly or what temperatures we're actually reading, um, the sensor is actually reading what it should be all the time. The other thing I like about it is a lot of the components, or at least a few of them, are replaceable. Absolutely. I didn't yep. see that with many other uh, competitors out there, so I think the ability to replace a control should it go bad, or mm -hmm. some of the other items. Um, going to the sensor, you guys kind of toyed with the idea of trying to figure out a way to put the sensor in the chemical at one point. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, we... Uh found that, well, again, that would re require user interface of making sure that that sensor gets into the correct place uh, within that chemical. Well, I mean, they could just drill a little hole in the top of the sure. drum and just kind of fish it down there, right, Yeah, Mike? absolutely. The side or the bottom, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no. So um, the other portion of that, uh, not only user interface, is, is that um, the sensor wouldn't necessarily be sensing accurately at that point in time either because you're in the center of the chemical. That means that that drum warmer would be probably on all the time. would never turn off. It would never turn off, giving you inconsistency and more than likely burn or something or damaging of the chemical on the outer rim of the drum itself. The sensor placement that you landed on, can you tell us a little bit about that? Where it kind of lies within the blanket and what the thought was, you know, because you're right. You got to read a good, a happy medium somewhere. Right. right. So the blanket will turn on and off and not overheat because that poses issues we're all aware of Yep. Um, or underperform. So right. just a little bit on kind of what you decided on for your sensor placement. Yep, so it's it's, it's it's about centered in the drum, maybe a little bit closer to the bottom of the, I'd say bottom third of the drum, because more than likely there's always gonna be chemical in that particular area. And that's the coldest likely spot? Exactly, yep, on the backside, so you got the controller on this side and then it's on the backside of the drum. So um, that's, we put it all, all different locations and that seemed to give us the most consistent accurate reading so again going to stage gate there's a testing procedure or process mm -hmm. what do you guys do for testing so i'm guessing you have to understand viscosities test with spray foam chemicals or like products to mm -hmm. see you know maybe not what kind of delta you can get out of it but what did you guys do for your testing process so since this drum warmer is typically used in the winter uh, a lot of our testing process had to be taken or done during the winter time because that's when you get the the best elements, right? So there was a course of time where we actually did quite a bit of testing outdoors. We put it outside um, on a drum of water because uh, water was the only chemical that I could truly get my fingers on regularly. And it was somewhere between minus, third, minus 20 and minus 30 out, outside during the course of January and February and uh, put it on the drum and let it go at it. And we took t uh, temperature tests and I had monitors on it and such and we watched that, watched 
it gets coarse. We'd actually freeze the water, which I don't recommend freezing chemical because chemical under under 60 or 50 degrees, my understanding is, is uh, going to damage it. But we wanted to give it the extreme test and see what happens. And uh, the blanket actually thawed the water and it brought it up to temperature over a course of time. And we were happy with that. We also did some summer testing where we actually brought in a refrigerator truck as well um, to to try to do some competition testing or comparison testing against the competition. So we ran the competitors against ours for a course of about a month, and um, that gave us some other tests results as well. Right, kind of sets a baseline for what's the Mendoza line here? Exactly. What exists and how can we maybe break through it a little bit? We've talked about the Sidewinder sleeve. We've talked about the new drum warmer. So I want to ask if there's anything you can share with us. What's next for Suburban? How are you guys going to stay relevant uh, in the spray foam industry? Anything you can allude to? Maybe some things you're working on or other ideas. And if you can't tell me, just kick me in the leg under the table. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to give you a kick. Um, There are a couple things that we're looking at right now, but uh, they're they're still kind of hush-hush and quiet. Uh, We're doing some uh, market evaluation on, on where we're at with the current product. Um, starting to see that plateau a little bit. So, yeah, we're definitely trying to look at, at the what, what the next edge is and trying to understand that. But, yeah, it's, it's reaching out to the market and trying to, again, understand what their issues and concerns are. Do we re, reevaluate what the product looks like right now? Do we try to go with a different coating, that type of thing? But uh, there's a couple things out there. I can't tell you major details on those yet. All right, fair enough. Well, Mike, thanks for coming in. We appreciate the relationship that we have with you guys, and we've had for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We definitely look forward to the future, and maybe we'll look for a Tsunami podcast and talk about the other side of the business. Thanks again for coming in. Please listen to our value and drop us a line and tell us what you want to hear about. I'm Aaron Franzine, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.